Josh Baden with Roleplaying Public Radio. This is RPPR episode 143, Murder, She Wrote, My Scenario. Uh, this is going to be about the genre of small town mysteries. Uh, everything from Murder, She Wrote to Gravity Falls to Twin Peaks uh, to even JoJo, uh, Diamond is Unbreakable. Uh, but I'm just mentioning it. All right, we're, we're going to move on. <laughs> Ooh, the podcast levels drop. Uh, or Riverdale. Up. Um, it's a rich genre, uh, and I'm thinking about running a sort of mini campaign in that in Bubblegum Shoot at some point. So I haven't finalized anything, so we talked to Sean here and Caleb to Hello. get ideas and sort of figure out the structure, what's appealing about it, and what kind of pitfalls to avoid, uh, and our appreciation of the genre. Anyways, uh, first off, we have a bit of news. Um, I have a new book bundle uh, for – if you are missing my books, my print books, uh, I've put Zombies of the World, uh, Base Raiders Boiling Point, and Base Raiders uh, from the Underground all together in one bundle. You can get all three for $30, uh, free U.S. shipping. So if you haven't gotten all three of those books, here's your chance to get it. Deals! Yeah, it's, it's a sale. <laughs> um, so I'll put a link in the show notes. And then also I will be in Seattle next month. Uh, for Go Play Northwest, which is a small tabletop uh, RPG con. Uh, Jeff Barber is also supposed to attend. I'm um, also up in Seattle to record some podcasts with Scott He's Clancy. a friend of the podcast. I think he's Jeffy B now. <laughs> Jeffy B. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'll... That's I'll, how he wants his friends to call him. Yeah, so. Jeffy B. <laughs> uh, or JB. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm not sure what I, I will be running. Probably Base Raiders and or Red Markets. Uh, but I, and I don't have my schedule yet because Should run run markets. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll run both. Uh, so uh, I'll have uh, schedules up on the Facebook group for RPPR and Twitter and other social media when I get my figure out what games I'm running and when. Uh, so, but yeah, if you're up in the Seattle area, uh, come down. Uh, I'll be there Friday and Saturday, the seventh and the eighth. Uh, that Sunday, I know the con's still going on, but I'm going to go hiking around Mount Rainier because nature—it's a thing that exists. And oh, I should go for now. For now, so enjoy it while you can. Uh, yeah. Also, Cascadia uh, earthquake is going to happen at some point, so I want to see what I can at the Pacific Northwest before it is swallowed by the ocean. Yes. <laughs> so, um, anyways, that's it for news, and uh, so let's get talking about the main uh, topic, which is about small towns mysteries. I've had the idea of doing one uh, because I've always been interested in uh, the idea of reusing the same place and the same characters over and over again because that's sort of central to the small town mystery it's uh and i guess we should start by defining it uh and why don't we all just go around and define what we think the small town mystery uh how how you would define it so uh sean why don't you go first how would you define hell no um so (laughs) basically the genre is more just um Try to find a good, concise way to phrase this, but I'll probably just throw something down there, and you guys can sharpen it. Keep in mind, we have not looked up TV tropes uh, at all, so this is original research. Yeah, this is like <laughs> the academic source of TV tropes. So, okay, there's something about okay. There's the actual like mystery shows where they showcase a small town that they keep going around revisiting familiar characters. There's always a deeper history that builds up the actual mystery because you know they have to like somehow go further into it. So a murder happens, or somebody vanishes. And you have to figure out, wow, why did this happen? And somehow this leads to you researching decades back in the past, centuries perhaps. Um, sometimes. Uh, sometimes it could be more recent. Like, it's uh, more recent, but... It, you know, one we haven't mentioned during the uh, production was or was Stranger Things. That's another excellent sure. example. I mean, but basically, somehow the town's history typically will play into it. Uh, recent or further back. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of times, usually it'll have a lot to do with the petty politicking that small towns have in real life. It plays off of that pretty strongly, um, how in a major city, you know, I'm trying to think of a good random old lady name, you know, Susie, Aunt Susie can normally not wield real power in New York City. Right. But here in our piss ant little town, this woman is like a real player behind the scenes. Right. Yeah. She's not the, um, yes, a, a random citizen who's not like a. Yeah. The, the characters in Law and Order SVU never consult Aunt Susie about the rape kit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, Whereas yeah. in a, a yeah. small town mystery, that's a thing that happens. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's can, because you know, like those are your resources. Like, and Bubble Gumshoe kind of does that. Yeah. But you, so, but anyways, you can essentially make minor, seemingly minor characters into you know, like power players or you know real mm-hmm. political. You know, it's it, yeah. I'm trying to think of a better way to define that, really sharpen that down. But well, while you're thinking about it, I mean, yeah, Caleb, yeah. Well, you can, we can keep uh, what do you think? How would you define a small town mystery? Well, surprise. Yeah, I'm going to be overly academic. <laughs> So I see the small town mystery uh, genre mm. as a whole as deriving primarily from this sort of fusion of the like broader literary tradition of regionalism mm. uh, or local color writing. If you want to go back to like Mark Twain and the American tradition or things like that, right. where where context, where you know the the acknowledgement of in a time and in a place supersedes all other elements of the literature like so for instance jim may be unintelligible in huck finn but he sounds like mark twin assumed a black guy sounded like at the time because you know the the depiction of the time and the place supersedes uh, all other elements of the plot mm-hmm. uh including realism uh, you know, because if you look at Huck Finn and another of a regionalist writers, it is again, you know, even Hart Crane, you know, it is more about depicting the ethos, the mindset of a place than it is about realism or you get into Southern Gothic, that kind of stuff. I think it's a fusion of that with the more uh, profit driven, more, you know, if you want to get into Adorno, the culture industry kind of stuff uh, of the, you know, serialized mystery television show. It's sort of a bastardized fusion. And I don't say bastardized in that it's like bad. I say bastardized in that it is a bit of a, it is a, yeah, a bit of a hybrid between this sort of um, impulse to, of people that are raised on that sort of regionalist writing tradition, you know, 18th, 19th century writing, and then moving towards this more commercial adventure mystery murder of the week sort of things. And it's a fusion of that. So I think I think it's important to look at things like Law and Order. I didn't just make a crude it was a crude joke. I didn't just make a crude joke about SVU, but Law and Order is not the small town mystery. It is the New York mystery, but it's the mystery that will occur every fucking week regardless of anything. Whereas you look at Murder She Wrote, it is that same thing. The mystery is going to occur because we need a fucking show or the mystery is going to occur because we need a book for you know, right. 18th of Janet Ivanovich's books. And then um, it's going to happen because commercially it demands must happen. But we're also going to include some sort of, you know, literally humanistic uh, representation of people quality in it by, you know, nailing it down in this very, you know, lived experience, this very, you know, uh, place that has, you know, recurring characters and a consistent geography. And we are going to, you know, nail 
nail it down in this sort of literary tradition mm. of regionalism. That that's where I see the sort of uh, if small town mystery is its own genre. And I again I have not consulted TV tropes, <laughs> uh, but if TV tropes approves, I would I would posit that uh, it's sort of this uh, fusion of this sort of deeper literary tradition with this sort of new commercial mode of writing. Mm-hmm. So it also kind of I'm I'm sorry I'm paraphrasing a little bit you know kind of bring it down a notch I guess probably. <laughs> Setting his character is a vital part of this. Yeah, entire genre. exactly. It's like yeah, it's the quick version. Well, but setting his character is predominant. So, for example, we're never going to hang a lantern on the fact that Angela Lansbury has a murder rate dwarfing that of fucking Juarez. Oh, she's that, like there's a random Somalia. yeah, there's a random town in New England that makes like towns like Syria in the middle of a civil war look fucking quaint with the number of deaths they have. I uh, actually, we're never going to talk on that. We're going to talk about like her recurring next door neighbor and her friends in the local theater group that suddenly there's a murder like and that's the thing. It's sort of this weird like confusion of that. But that's the thing. Like regionalism was never about realism. It was about Outset of realism, but it was a very much the development of the idea of verisimilitude. It's like there's no such thing as realism in fiction. There is the feeling of being real. And the idea in fiction is like the feeling of being real comes from the feeling of uh, the term that's being thrown around all the time today is world building, which I also kind of hate because like there's terms that are like 800 years old that aren't world building that say the exact same thing. Uh, but the idea that like it, the sensation of being real is distinctly different from actual reality. And there are things that will get people closer to feeling real faster in writing than there will be in terms of um, actually perceiving real. Like, you know, sometimes you just, you wake up late one day and you have a couple beers and you go over to a podcast and you go home and go to sleep. <laughs> like, and it's not much of a fucking narrative and no one cares about it. It's real as hell, but nobody wants it. And so you're going for the perception of real and the idea that, like, the way you make uh, murder have stakes, especially when it's a murder every fucking week and you don't know the person who died, the, the way you give it stakes and the death weight and the importance of the iconic hero doing that is by making that murder an event in a community. And the community is a story that you're invested in. You're not invested in whatever asshole that got fucking murdered that week. You're invested in like, oh, how does Shrewsbury, how does Miss Marple, how does whatever fucking town Angela Lansbury lives in, Go on from this. Like, you're invested in that yeah. sort of maintenance of the civil order, and that's the sort of in, that's the stakes in the scenario. So, Caleb, you, you just helped me invent a second headcanon for Murder She Wrote. My original was uh, that Lansbury is the mastermind behind all these murders. She is the architect, <laughs> she has the murders conducted so she can keep writing stories. She's the avatar of the Black Widow. <laughs> yes. Now, now I've got a better headcanon. Just like, I just want like to see a single like picture painted of Lansbury sitting in a bar. Just staring with the, you know, that, those dead eyes, like stare, with, a, yeah. with like a glass of brandy or something. It's her and Detective Stabler. <laughs> yes. They get together in their high school reunion. Yes, <laughs> just talking about their cases. Just, just the mental image. During boiler makers. I think I did read on Tumblr uh, a headcanon post about Murder She Wrote, where it's like she is literally the avatar of death. 
Uh, and that's why so many people keep dying around her is that like she is unwillingly killing everyone around her through her psychic. And emotion. I mean, like it's it's but a anyway. fucking advanced like reducto ad absurdum example when we talk yeah. about murder she wrote. But I really think that summarizes the genre. Like you're taking this sort of this materialist demand of the market. We need a fucking story this week. We need a book this quarter. Whatever it fucking is. Gravity Falls. Something weird's got to happen. We got another fucking episode, or Disney's going to cancel us, and they cancel us anyway. Um, you've got. Well, it. they had a resolution at least. Yeah, you, yeah. You, they at least got a resolution. You have this sort of materialist demand. Something has to go wrong at this time, regardless of whatever. So this sort of serialized formularic stuff. But you also have to make it seem not fucking. Oh, somebody died. Who gives a shit? Someone dies every fucking week. You have to, like, have some stakes to it. And so you sort of have these recurring characters. I guess if I want to do another pop culture example, you could look at, like, the fucking Gilmore Girls, which is the opposite of that. Like, we will just talk about this bizarre town, and this bizarre town won't exist anywhere in reality, because Stars Hollow is, like, the utopian white nightmare that Portland was founded on, if it actually worked. Um... But that we won't have a murder or anything actually happen to do it. We will just continue being invested in these characters in this fully realized but very limited space. So you can do that. And I think like it's very much the idea of like, all right, if Gilmore Girls works, if I will watch these girls who speak like no one in reality has ever spoken and live in this world that is totally divorced from actual reality, but it's just fully realized and these interactions are consistent and like across the page, if I will watch them just talk about fucking nothing for two hours and like Netflix will revive it for another interminable term. Why can't I just throw a mystery in there and have that carry along my murder of the week? Like, that's what I kind of see the whole genre as. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, judging from both of your uh, descriptions, so we, we can see some elements are important, like history uh, and place are very important. And then, like, the community. Uh, it's For me, you're, you're kind of saying, like, the community in conflict uh, or in crisis is the, is the conflict. Restoring the community to status quo. Or some is sort the, of new is order. the arc is yeah, yeah. yeah restore it's your it's iconic and that's why it's perfect for a yeah. lot of gaming groups because you know what is very much along the same model on a serial model right? while you're yeah. not making money Wednesday's game night you need a game yeah. like something's got to go wrong and you got to have heroes go solve that fucking thing and it doesn't matter what's going on else in the plot line something's got to like get you all together and scheduled and working on it. And so uh, my idea is like, that's why it works so well in an RPG framework is because you are doing these continual lasting character arcs. You are doing these like continual world building. If you want to use that term, right. you have these in jokes that you're building with your friends, you're, you're collaboratively making a narrative, but you're also sort of paying lip service to the logistical realities of playing an RPG, which is like, we all got to get fucking babysitters and we all got to get off work and we all got to like buy food and we got to arrive in the same place at the same fucking time. We got to talk about the same thing for four hours and we have to fucking deal with that. And it's sort of like, that's why I think it's a genre that so well works with the RPG and why I think, and why my default is like the mystery framework, even though I don't read that very much, just because it really works well for the theater of RPGs. Yeah. You got to get together. There has to be a reason to get together and something has to happen stakes wise for it to be worthy. Of and you want to see it continue. Yeah. But you also want to see it continue on to the next thing and you don't want lulls in that. So you sort of make this, um, this narrative of this place 
and your characters within it. Whereas at the same time, you know, someone's gonna fucking die. Yeah. And you gotta solve mystery about that. So Well, I mean, in part I agree with you, but the standard the default thing with the RPG is more uh, akin to an Odyssey or a road trip because it's a lot easier as a GM, um correct me if I'm wrong, but to make up a new thing every week rather than to take existing elements you've already established and rework them to be uh to be just as interesting the second time around. And the center and you can't do that with a a small town mystery because you have to you can't keep intro- you can introduce new murder victims or you can introduce new uh crises uh crisis or whatever you want to call it uh for the town to uh, uh to to solve for the for uh, order to be so but you but like you know you can uh keep introducing new villains or new you have to reuse like it's the same population you know so and you have same to set create an arc for a lot of NPCs yeah, yeah you need an good. arc in addition to the and character. I think mo- most or most RPGs don't do that it's a dungeon of the week you know or yeah yeah and that's the thing Law like, and Order is the same like Conan's constantly yeah. moving from place to place but like after the 18th time he's like out constricted a constrictor snake god in whatever yeah. weird bizarre land you're just like what the fuck does it matter he's gonna find something he's gonna kick its ass and that's gonna be it like he has no relationships with consistent npcs if you want to use a gamer metaphor yeah. that change and like I, I really i don't think it's gonna give you the best of both worlds but it is i think that mystery like of the week in a small local setting that can be handled world building wise and not is not all of like uh I don't know, the Fertile Crescent or wherever the fuck Conan is set. Uh, a, a limited... Hyperborea. Yeah, Hyperborea. <laughs> um, that limited space where you can have like a consistent arc across multiple characters, including the characters of their own, that's the thing. Because like, if your character is the only character that has an arc, that's great for a one-shot. But if your character is the only character that has an arc every fucking week... It feels like reality's catering to you, and you get this like sort of Truman Show thing. It's a harm on verisimilitude. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you have the small town that reacts around you, while things still continue going wrong, you have this sort of you know issue that that you know moves the narrative forward. Yeah. Um, and no, I, and I agree with all that, but I just don't think it's as done as much. Uh, oh no, I agree. It's yeah, yeah. I don't think it's done enough. I yeah. think uh, I think a good thing in RPGs is that it's like becoming more prevalent. Yeah. Uh, you certainly see that with games like uh, not only Bubble Gumshoe but also Tales from the Loop, uh, and more and more in the past like uh, Candlewick Manor uh, for Monsters Other Childish Things had like a relationship generator to where you had all these NPCs but you could interpret the relationships unique to your campaign. Um, so there yeah, were Tales from the Loop is like you can see it on every page of that book. Yeah, like even if you don't read the text, but like the inclusion of like combines next to mech walkers and like your shitty fucking Camry next to like an AI robot is explicitly meant to give you like here's your literary shit here's your commentary on the human condition here's your fantastic shit that will actually get you to get a babysitter and show up to the table and it's like in the visualization of it beyond even the text like that's what you want in those small town murder mysteries relatable but will get you out of bed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, Sean, what, have you run any of these kind of games before? Um, or uh, Well, there was Cottonwood, I guess. Yeah, there was Cottonwood. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. Um, Cottonwood is an excellent example in terms of our own 
RPP our canon because yeah. I think like most of our campaigns are more of the road trip kind of thing, uh, like No Evil or Tribes of Tokyo. I mean, Tokyo was one city, obviously, but I didn't really have reoccurring NPCs as much. Um, but t- Cottonwood, yeah. So part of that, of course, was based on uh, your own observations of life in small town Texas. Yeah. Um, um, and again, there's that element of realism, uh, quote unquote. Um, so, but go on. Oh, there, there was a lot of exaggeration that got used to kind of make it more interesting. If I just went day to day life in a small town, the monotony would have been the main villain. Yeah, <laughs> and it can murder. That would be a different kind of game. Yeah, and that's a pure, that's a literary novel. Yeah, that's and, not something I get out of bed to go game. No, I mean, if I try to run that for a table of three to four people, it, it's just not going to happen. We would, get, well, no, it would turn into an action thing because we'd set something on fire. Yeah, so. exactly. Well, until you set things on fire, phones will be out, that kind of shit. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so obviously you have to get the murder mystery, and I had to make it as fucked up as possible. Uh, actually, to throw out a few like small town kind of settings, I dug pretty deep into the lynch bin on this one. Uh, I know not everybody likes lynch, but... I felt that Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet were great inspirations to kind of push things along. Yeah. Um, the Twin Peaks is certainly a big cat, big uh, name in this category or genre. Yeah. Um, but honestly, again, a lot of the big thing was, again, to go back to the setting itself was a character, um, actually physically on some level as well. I mm-hmm. kind of put it in sort of avatar. And yeah, no, you can have that. Uh, in, certainly yeah. Gravity Falls has that too. Yeah. So um, does, does Twin Peaks? I don't know. Absolutely. Uh, Sort of. Not really. There's Bob. There's Bob. Okay, yeah. There's Bob. There's the arm. There's the, the star giant. It gets really freaking weird. Okay, so there are manifestations of the. There are. Okay. Um, but it's really, again, it's just more Lynch taking the piss and trying to be just weird. <laughs> Being to be Lynch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, no, no. Like, in coming up with it, I didn't intend for it to go supernatural. Okay. It was not meant to be. Uh, Cottonwood Slim was actually just a dude. Okay, so when did you make that change? Because, spoiler alert, it was. <laughs> Whoops. Um, if they're listening to this right now, they probably already listened to it. Spoil- yeah. I, yeah. Um, what happened was I was sitting there in a break room scribbling and like just trying to come up with names for different people. And the word wolf was on the paper. And mm-hmm. for some weird reason, that's where the dog thing came up. And this whole mythology started like just descending upon it. I think the wolf thing is important because it's small time mystery. Another characteristic is that it has to be a unique place. And so Cottonwood is a unique place because of those dogs and canines, I guess. The, the idea of the yeah. wild hunt personified in a Texas boomtown. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, I loved Cottonwood. Um, so here's the thing. Cottonwood as the one or two shot it was could have been just for me. This town is fucked up from like tip to toe and it could have been just like regular like that however i could have also seen cottonwood like being stretched out to like campaign length because it was so fucked up like i could have we we could have just like as texas rangers walked through municipal departments and like dealt with how god awful they were but that would be drudgery that would be i am a texas ranger this is my work and that's the thing were there this like strange like true detective arcane influence in the background of cottonwood that's a that's a hook that gets me to the game table every night and so like that's the sort of thing like it was thoroughly steeped in this local color that made it feel real but there was enough to it to like make it a fantastic event it took a okay how's this you guys got through maybe you touched you solidly touched on a quarter of the notes I had. No, you wrote a campaign. Yeah, yeah. And then I tried, and we I did we did a speed run, and I know yeah. I do that all the time. I kind of prefer <laughs> I kind of prefer the way it wound up. Yeah, uh, you know, because it 
I like that there's more mystery. Yeah. So. Um, also, a dirty world. I don't know. We've never really done a campaign of that. I don't know how well that would hold up. Uh, it's a great game, but I don't know how well it would hold up for extended campaign play. Yeah, it's not been tested for long term play. Yeah. So you'd need some different. Yeah, if you would change it, mechanics, yeah. but that's like a game design kind of thing, yeah. not a narrative thing. And I think we're really talking about a narrative thing. No, we are, but I mean, game design affects the narrative. I mean, yeah, I no, think. I agree. Yeah, yeah. so uh, because there are different systems, you can run these things. I meant narratively, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I could see a season of a TV show. No, it or could. A it could have been of a, books yeah. in Cottonwood. Yeah, it, it, we, I mean, we we can where we like Northern Exposure style come in as like the Texas Rangers who are like. No. Not a nerd in this fucking nightmare of like top to bottom civic corruption <laughs> and just like every day have to consult the alien like ethos of everyone that works in Cottonwood municipal like work. Like yeah, I could I could see that being stretched out for a number of times. Yeah. Well you well Sean has actually kind of already done that. At least with the Patreon game, he's used the Cottonwood setting for other uh, one shots. Yeah, and has plans for more. I did Rojo and uh that came. That was up. slasher flick. Oh no, I did slasher flick. I also did Rojo, another Dirty World. Okay, that got really a bit fucking real. Sorry, uh, but yeah, no, I there's there's enough material from things I've seen over the past decade that no, I can keep expanding the setting and just so that's another option if you want to do the small town mystery is to take that setting and not make it one cohesive campaign but like maybe a series of mini campaigns or a series of one shots or a campaign with some ancillary one shots and stuff like that um you know you can take sort of a broad sprawling approach Uh, i kind of feel like if you drag it out for too long uh you have to come up with like micro rewards along the way yeah to like resolve a bunch of little mysteries as opposed to the who killed amanda palmer arc which frankly for, yeah, yeah, Twin Peaks. Never Twin Peaks. resolves. <laughs> Not real. Well, they, they I thought they resolved it in Firewalk. I mean, at least they, they, you know who killed her in Firewalk. They literally Firewalk. state precisely what happens between Firewalk with me and uh, Amanda Palmer's diary. Yeah. But um, it the payoff is never there in the actual show. Yeah. Um, which I think is a big turnoff point for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you, you have to dig deep into the mythos to truly understand what's going on. And even then, you're basically told you will never truly get it. Yeah. Like, so... I guess when you're you're uh, if you're a GM and if you're wanting to do a small town mystery, I think the main question is um, now that we understand the basics of it of what makes a small town mystery, as opposed to like why it's murder she wrote and not Law and Order. Law and Order, the only reoccurring characters are the principal investigators, and you know uh, they don't re they don't revisit the same informant every week, and they don't do yeah, the same no, thing. I mean so, like, that's they a, do, but that's because they're recycling <laughs> bit actors. actors. Yeah. They have different names. This week I work a copy store. Yeah. Um, Eight episodes from now, I'm the head of a nunnery. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's a great career transition. Um, so, yeah, when you're, when you're thinking about doing this, um, like how do you, one, write it? Like how do you create? How, how, how did you start doing that? And then, you know, so let's start with that. Because, like, I have an idea for one. Um, and, you know, get, getting with the history in place, I think one thing about the small town mystery is you, you kind of do need to set it in a very particular place. Like you don't have to make it a historical place, but you have to make it a very realized place. So that's why history, that's why I think it's very easy to just set it. It's not set in the here and now it's set in this 
particular place at this particular time period because then you can do research and you know kind of like an Adam Scott Glancy thing just do a bunch of enough research and be like here's what it was like back then and here's you know and it doesn't have to be like you yeah know. you want to provide local color yeah you want to provide local color you want to make it not it's not generic place it's not generic town it's Cottonwood with its fucked up dogs and municipal <laughs> government um, so like so much you guys didn't explore yeah <laughs> exactly and uh, like for example I have an idea and I was thinking about it. so I um, one that would be Japanese theme. I was thinking more like uh, influenced by things like Japanese horror films like The Ring and a lot of those uh, and there's some obscure ones um, that are very usually set in small towns and like so they have their own kind of tradition doing this. So I was thinking like doing one set in like the early 90s uh, the lost decade of Japan when they have this economic recession uh, at a coastal town and obviously students and like start with like a greenhouse is on fire and then, like, these strange plants start uh, growing around the town, these strange flowers, and kind of start with that. So, like, the mystery is the, – the initial setup would be, like, investigating this fire. And so, like, everyone's concerned about this fire. And maybe the adults are not giving a shit about the plants, but the kids are like, that's really fucking weird, you know? Like, yeah. So um, – but that's just my idea. So in terms of you, like, how would you – structure writing it up i mean obviously you could use cottonwood as your experience but yeah, yeah. i was just going to say one one thing i just have to qualify is i'm the only non-professional right at the table so i know that everything <laughs> i said is going to sound pedestrian as fuck oh um, don't worry about it but the way that i've looked at any like for any of the mystery scenarios i've written mm-hmm. um it's really basic but i know i know but you figure out what happened yeah you don't start with the mysteries and the hooks you start with what really happened and then you work backwards from there, building up the setting, and then you decide how do you draw them in. Do you think David Lynch knows what happens in Twin Peaks? No, I think he. Okay, I think <laughs> categorically no. Dude, hard had a, no. Dude had a dream. <laughs> I think he's. I, I don't know. I'm. I'm actually going to watch the new seasons because you know. Yeah, I think David Lynch ran out of money, and and lo and behold, another season of Twin Peaks came out. <laughs> but it was precisely 25 years later. Yeah. So. That gum we like came back in style. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So normally you would have it. You would know the answers and work your way backwards. Which right. Is the and you can, you can change the answers later if it yeah. becomes more convenient. Okay. Again, I, I, again, I'm the person with no real professional. Well, I mean, this is writing a game for your local group. We're not yeah. necessarily doing it for publications. Right. And we all had a great time playing Cottonwood. So, like, me, By professional writer, you mean self-published because no one else will publish me. <laughs> then yes. Eclipse phase does. Eclipse phase does. Thank people you. People give yeah, you geez. money for words. Okay. Right. That, that, that's like – Five steps above where I'm operating. So, so um, th- if we're talking about hard logistics of how you translate it to the table, um, I really see my transition in this being from um, No So Left Behind to Red Markets. So No Less Left Behind was a small town mystery and then it's a small high school yeah. mystery. Like, yeah, it's a small community. You have these recurring characters. Um, and I feel, I feel like that's good and I don't feel like I did a bad job. But it can be exhausting as a GM to remember like the voices and the various like acting ticks of all of these various characters because you are providing local color as well as cues so what i did in red markets which was a little bit more episodic is the idea that the enclave is entirely player generated and then you have this player generated enclave and their dependents and their dependents are not necessarily played by the market they're actually played by everyone else at the table so i think if you want to talk about like hard logistics how do i bring this to the table when you like cast your small town perhaps you should give cast members two specific players at the table who aren't going to interact with them 
So, for example, uh, you know, the Jewish mother trope of Aaron's character. We kept recalling that and that kind of thing. But that's the thing. They don't necessarily have to provide plot-sensitive information. That could be something reserved for the GM. And you are in a mystery scenario. And so, like... Even though the, the, the sort of trope of the mystery, the sort of like thing you have to get past in the mystery is that you obviously have characters who don't know anything. And then you obviously have characters who do. And you've all accepted that in playing a mystery. So why don't you just make the characters that know something to be the GM's role and then everyone else to provide the local color, the verisimilitude. So one thing I would suggest as a GM advice is to sort of democratize this town like give everyone two or three characters and they don't have to like maintain a character sheet but they know some basic tropes of them and if they're talking to that person they can be in different scenes and that way like not every the whole Scooby gang doesn't have to be fucking together for every fucking scene which again is a sort of a violation of the narrative genre you're working in because splitting up is sort of vital to the you know clue gathering process. Yeah I mean look at Stranger Things Yeah exactly yeah you need to deal with different combinations of stuff like that so um the one thing i learned in those who left behind is that it can be sort of exhausting to run this like entire cast by yourself against these pcs and so like and and but like the brilliance of the better angel mechanics is that i never had to play a demon the demon was always the person to the left yeah and so i sort of realized it's like well, if it's just a subplot, if it's not like the main narrative through line, why can't David play that character too? Why couldn't Bill or Sarah play that character? Yeah. And I think that's what I realized between that and Red Markets. Um, and, I, and that's the thing. Your small town doesn't have to feature... You can choose the the realm in which it features. You can get a lot of verisimilitude from a very little amount of small town. So Red Markets being like based on contracts and source is very much adventure of the week. But doing those vignettes, even like three or five minutes, if you if you're tight yeah. as the market, can really just like anchor everything in this time in this place and make it all feel real and make it have stakes. Uh, I'm thinking about Fallen Flag in that mm-hmm. regard, like you know. We went out and did some crazy wackety schmackety do shit every fucking week, <laughs> but it always had like this clear, demonstrable, and I think by the end of the campaign, heartbreaking impact on this like, you know, this very tight knit group of people. Yeah. Um. So you know, sort of democratizing who plays those roles and sort of uh, establishing that you, you can get a lot out of a very little of like just the local color regionalistic. Yeah, small time, and I think that's why it's popular. Um, yeah, two points. Uh, I think I can see from that. One is you don't have to. You can. You don't have to dive the entirely way into the genre. You could take that part. Like Red Markets is not a small town mystery per se. It has elements of it. It's like at thirty minutes at most of small yeah, town yeah, mystery. Yeah, yeah, and so you can take that part, and you still get a lot out of it. Um, you know, another idea I did have is you could still like I love the idea of democratizing NPC creation for a small town because that also invests the players in it. If everyone has like their two, three NPCs that they create, uh, they're more they're paying more attention to the they're they're more invested and they care more about it. Uh, especially you know, oh my god, the shopkeeper that I created is threatened by the monster. We need to go save him because I like doing his voice. You know, yeah, uh, exactly, yeah. But um, they could still give plots. Like it would be pretty easy to house rule or say like. 
all right, you know, player, you know, Sean, you're playing the shopkeeper. Uh, if Caleb makes a skill check or he spins that investigative point, then I'll tell you what the clue is, and then you role play giving it to Caleb's character. Or so, you could like, and that's the thing you could do with notes. Like, like yeah. if there's a plot point they have to deliver, yeah, just like, them a note. look at yeah, look at your SVU or your regular Law and Order episode. Like, you have a 45 second to a minute and a half conversation that only exists to establish that person had a life before the cop showed up which is done as quickly as possible and then deliver a single facet of information like they were here at this time they bought this thing they you know they're related to so and so like and then that scene literally just fucking ends there's no reason you can't write that down on a post it and slide it to so and so playing mm-hmm. npc so and so and have them just like yeah that's your talking point some find some way to work that into the questioning otherwise say whatever you want and just role play it out yeah um, yeah, exactly. So there, there are ways to. Uh, I think that's definitely the major trend now is to do more collaborative things. Is not just the G. Yeah, the the less load you put on the GM, the better it is. Because you know, instead of ninety percent, it could just be sixty percent of the GM. <laughs> um, and you can also see this in like uh, actual uh, genre ep- TV shows. For example, Young Justice has that same kind of thing. It's in the second season. We're on that that mountain near the small town uh, harbor or something like that or whatever it's called. I can't recall. Yeah, off the top of my head, but, yeah. Uh, but they're they're relocated. Their their secret fortress is in a small town ta- is near a small town, and so they all go to the same high school and like they had these small town elements, but the rest of the time it's an adventure of the week thing where they go out and you know fight crime or well do black ops for Batman. So but uh, so you can have that. So you can even do different genres. Uh, it's not just necessarily Buffy's basically Buffy's very same, much that yeah, yeah the yeah. same kind of concept um, you know you very much have and then in that case they have like through lines and then also just adventures of the week like yeah my teacher's a mantis person yeah let's forget about that from now on and now let's work on the vampire guys like for yeah. two or three sessions like yeah um yeah i mean one thing is that, like we've been talking about small town mystery as in the traditional investigators who are solving crimes or you know encyclopedia browning it or whatever but it could be like more let's go on black ops to fight bad guys you know it can and, be and that's sort of my academic, it could be any kind of procedure and that's sort of my academic principle of this like you never see like a genre literature that like gives up the idea of the image or metaphor or something these deeper literary concepts i would argue at this point like regionalism local color as a way to achieve you know realism in terms of the 18th century sense and the verisimilitude is this sort of this like through line that's expected in all of literature this sea change there's no reason you can't inject that into all sorts of shit like Yeah. yeah Uh, Sean, like any other genres you'd like to use? Yeah. Um, again, I think I already brought up the uh, British cozy mystery and all that, but oh, I was just yeah. going to kind of comment on that, actually. Um, <clears throat> isn't that part of the appeal? I'm not big into MMOs, but mm-hmm. isn't part of the big appeal a persistent world that you can have an effect on? Oh, yeah. And so this, in effect, gives the players that kind of access to a tabletop game as opposed to you're in a tavern. There's an old man with a map. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's also, I mean, because for one thing, I think they're one of the reasons why the regionalism or the, this sort of local color writing is popular because it's still comprehensible in a short amount of time. If you're trying to do something, you know, unless you're, you know, there's other versions like Les Mis could be Paris. Yeah, if you're George R.R. R. Martin, yeah, yeah. like you're doing world building of a different sort. Yeah, I mean, but that, that's a tall order for most people. That's a that's a huge order for most people. And uh, so instead, if you want, especially if you're just running a game, you might like, all right, instead of like, 
having a persistent world that the players can keep track of and I can keep track of instead of doing an entire, well, three continents worth of shit like, you know, Game of Thrones. Uh, I'll just have one small town and we'll just ignore everything outside of it, you know. Yeah, I mean, think about it in terms of sustainability. Like, if you're Gygaxian, if you're back in the old days and you need to build, like, an entire new world that no one's read in, like, the Elric novels or any of the, you know, common reading of your gaming group. Yeah, man, you're burning oil for fucking everything. It's all coal power. You're, like, a shit ton of, like, wasted energy on plot points people don't touch and stuff like that. But, like, the technology of gaming Gaming has developed like energy. Like, get some solar panels in there. Get like, you know, like you know, turn off your lights when you're not in a room. Like, you know, get some more efficient production methods, and like you can get the same effect in terms of like everyone had fun and everyone talks about this narrative for mm-hmm. years to come in your group off like a smaller scenario. And in fact, like sometimes it'll be a deeper experience, not a less experience. Like you can be more efficient in it. And, I, yeah. and and like that being derived from the culture market like it is like the small town mystery genre clearly is is derived from these materialist demands on we need a fucking story this week like they've got some shit figured out just from sh- I mean like not to be ranting about it but like the invisible hand went down and graced this narrative to make it more cost productive and like yeah well, you gotta meet every fucking week and you have a job and you have kids and you have love members and you have to like write this fucking game like the show must go on maybe do less with you know do more with less you know yeah. is what i'm saying but yeah uh reusing sets the uh, again that yeah persistent exactly small setting you have so much less you have to do like um a lot of northern exposure was filmed in a small town in washington state yeah and it was Roslyn's Cafe is actually the Roslyn Cafe, Roslyn, Washington. Versus like X-Files, which where, is all pinned in northern Canada, whereas everywhere they go in the entire United States it looks, like, looks it like fucking darkly lit right. northern Canada in winter. <laughs> and like, yeah, that harms verisimilitude versus like we are solving mysteries in Erie, Indiana – Oh shit! It always looks like Harry, Indiana. Weird, like yeah, that kind yeah, of stuff. It's yeah. efficient. So. Yeah. Um, actually, you know, I, I, I did study television writing for a while, and that's actually a demand. When you create a TV show, you have to have reusable sets. Like you can have you can have new sets unique for one episode. You know, like you go out to the circus to solve a mo- crime or whatever. But you can't unless you're unless uh, but. To keep costs down, there have to be reusing sets. Even in the X Files, they had reusable sets like Mulder's office, you know, the director's Skinner's office, uh, the the coroner's, o- you know, the the the. Well, Mulder. I mean, that's as old as the Unities, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Shakespeare. He's like, that's why Romeo and Juliet meet on Monday, fuck on Tuesday, and are dead by Thursday. Like, <laughs> like you got to get this shit popping because like you can't show years of time. Like, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah. So there are some sets, but like the small town mystery. Um, that that does create a new demand because, like, again, if you have a persistent world, a persistent town, and then, like, the players get into a fight at the store, you need to – and they wrecked it or they set it on fire. You need to, like, oh, yeah, you go by the burned down store and the shopkeeper, you know, ruefully, you know, uh, 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 whisks, bro- you know, dust away on his broom and he looks at you pissed off, you know, or whatever. Uh, or is happy because you saved his dog from the fire or whatever. Uh, whatever that reaction is. Um, you, you were know. rude to Jill the Postmaster, and so every time you try to mail something, it's going to be Yeah, it's like a telltale game. She will remember that, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and there are yeah, different examples of that uh, to some degrees. I mean, certainly, like, JoJo has a huge 
huge backstory and like dozens of chapters and they're very good about reusing characters like i know uh don't i'm just he's saying gonna he's gonna run. they they turn a villain of the week into a minor uh antagonist or ally of the you know the uh, the main characters so the, so they so you can use the same thing so especially if the the players aren't literal murder hobos you know if the players uh can develop new relationships friends can become enemies enemies can become friends um, I mean, another thing I, I, I really like to narrative is like if these characters show up again week in, week out, like it makes deceit more real. Yeah. Like we can't relate to like false flagging an entire government to like gain control of it. Like we're not Russian. We can't, we can't like, we can't like identify that kind of shit, but we can relate to like family secrets or betrayed best friends and that kind of shit. You're keeping it on the human level. Yeah. Our, yeah, small town cover-ups or, or Cottonwood, like, or for example. Traditional, yeah, <laughs> we can all kind of relate to that sort of like level of corruption and deceit. Even if it goes to murder, we can relate to that sense of like personal betrayal. Like I met that person every day. We yeah. went to school together. I saw them at the grocery store just last week. You know, you, you're sort of like making a a more intense emotional impact than you are with like the vampires control yeah. the NSA now, which is great, but it's a very different style of game. Well, I think, I, I think part of it is kind of um, the way I look at it. It's, it's almost like a seasonal thing. You're, you live in the same place for a while. You get used to the, the cycle of life, the, how it acts in the spring versus the summer versus the oh, fall. Shit, you versus, have seasons. Yeah, That's have another seasons. thing that you yeah. don't have in like fucking big grand scope epics. Unless yeah. you like go. And then when you do, it's like, Oh, we're in the ice level. Like every fucking video game. Right. Oh, it's the lava level. Like every fucking video but, game. But the, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the seasons can be metaphorical. Like even in stranger things, it takes place over a short period of time. But, um, as the characters, gain more information they and they they survive certain events the same places take on new significance and yeah they have halloween they have weekends they yeah. have like you know it feels in a lived in space it lives in the same space but like what the best part is is like you you do this foreshadowing too which yeah. is a, like that that's sort of one of the strengths of it is when you can do it well like you have the small town or like you know uh for example in novels like salem's lot like at the beginning of the book they talk about oh this boarded up house that no one lives in and has a bad history mm-hmm. and like the main character sees it and he's like oh that's a creepy old house and then later on he's like uh oh, there's something bad going on in that house and then at the very end it's like oh shit the vampire lives here and so like by recurring by Every time they look at the bad house, you know they they get new information that it has takes on a new significance, and so like um, that's and also sort of like the goal. Stranger Things is like it's used as a sense of horror. You have this yeah. sort of like idyllic, perpetually fall weather of the mm-hmm. specific Northwest setting, and then they go into the upside down, and it's like this snow of ash, yeah, and like freaky cold is like announces it. It becomes like this this sort of fact that you have established a baseline climate and deviated from it again. You you have a deeper emotional significance than if you're just like in the dungeons of El Taor and yeah, you yeah. go through the dark portal of Shialzador and then. On the fiery plains of weird consonant, uh, you know, like yeah, it, it doesn't have the impact. And sometimes it's this new information uh, doesn't always apply to places. Like in Cottonwood, for example, uh, Sean did a great job because he always he foreshadowed the dogs like yeah, exactly. consistently, and then at the end we're like, holy shit, those weren't just dogs, you know? Yeah, it's almost impossible to get good foreshadowing into like your basic hack and slash D and D campaign. Yeah, in anything that's not like either painfully obvious 
or needlessly obscure. Yeah. Like, and you can see in written scenarios that we've done, and you forced me to read in After Hours, <laughs> both obvious cases where it's like on page two, it's like, well, that guy's the evil wizard. <laughs> or on or on like page 16, there's some fucking Welsh poem <laughs> with a goddamn like key to the whole mystery in it. And I was like, wait, what the fuck? And like, there's no like, there's no relatable space in there. Yeah. It's either like, well, he's obviously the bad guy or what? Because yeah. like the whole narrative doesn't lend itself towards that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sean, any thoughts on foreshadowing? Or um, yeah, again, yeah. Okay, I think Kelp covered it pretty well. I mean, like, there's the I've read through some of the books where it's like, and there's a red button. Make sure to mention the red button. <laughs> Why the fuck would I mention it? Oh, it blows up the world. Okay. Well, I mean, like, when you're doing Cottonwood, did you specifically think that the dogs were going to be supernatural at the beginning? Or is that um, just kind of like, oh, that's been working really well. I'll, I'll I originally planned to make it just more of a basic motif. Okay. And then I gave it a more supernatural significance as I was developing the scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, as the whole wild hunt thing developed. But originally, some rural areas have problems with packs of wild dogs. No, I, yeah. That was kind of like a realism thing for me. I'm like, no, but what? that's where like the whole metaphor of wild dogs as just the local people mm-hmm. um, who will tear you to fucking pieces. Um, so, But yeah, that, that, that helps. That's like, again, the part of the realism, yeah. the, the local color, and that... Then you can be t- and like the one thing is also the yeah the wild hunt like you can have a theme that it doesn't fully convey to the players even by the end of the game you can like have this overall like this is the theme of this game is a, the wild hunt and then like two or three layers down are what the players interact with so like Twin Peaks sounds like that kind yeah, of thing yeah it, it kind of goes um, that way but yeah it's it was more of a guiding vision by the end of yeah. it and you could have interacted more with that but it wasn't necessary yeah which gave but more it, but be, so. Because you chose to use the wild hunt as the theme, you kept everything consistent with that. So you didn't start adding in like something totally unrelated. If you threw in a Wicker Man thing, like I would be like, "Wait, what?" You know. Um, And that's another small town mystery. I mean, that's more of a movie, but like the original, at least, is an excellent kind of small town mystery. I mean, it's it's really a verisimilitude tool. No matter how you execute it, like there's a reason Stephen King writes almost exclusively in Maine. If I need you to believe there's a giant fucking bat creature in tunnels beneath this city eating folks, I really need to be able to see that fucking textile plant in aching detail to yeah. understand like the yeah, he's kind of a master of this yeah it? yeah like i mean and that's the basic principle of it like i will make this fantastic thing that will get you to the table more stakes more relatable by giving it this persistent realistic place yeah and if you ever see a wagoneer in maine get the fuck out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and you know you know we were talking about like the real world and real historical places but obviously um, I know it shouldn't have to be said, but I'm going to say it anyway. You can set these in other places. Like, I could see doing a small town mystery in Eclipse Phase, for example, if you just had an isolated Yeah, a area. habitat or yeah. um, a an exoplanet college. A fantasy world. Like, Terry Pratchett is yeah. very oh, good yeah. about, like, not, not ring world in general, which makes no sense in the broad spectrum of it. But, like, I'm going to set it in this city, and the city has, like, a theme and the very, like, or aesthetic. Village, yeah. yeah, or the village has a very, like, a theme or an aesthetic that is, like, consistent across the board. Yeah, um, yeah. There was but, kind of a murder mystery sort of thing. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched Outcasts. It was a it was a British. I don't know if it was BBC proper, but it was basically a space colony. Okay, uh, there was a whole lot of again small town corruption kind of mechanics because it was this isolated colony. Actually, holy crap! If it's all the yeah, it's got like a deeper history to the planet, uh, and they have to figure out what's really going on 
to survive essentially. But yeah, okay, uh, Outcasts. Yeah, I think it was that's what it was. What was that sci-fi show where it was like I, I they tried to attach it to a video game, but it was like seven different alien species living in like the ruins of St. Louis oh, underneath that's the arch. One. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. They did this enormous galactic world building thing, and they're just like fuck it. It's set in St. Louis. <laughs> like like you, yeah, because it's just like more stable. Like it's an easier pull. Like, I think that was that was that independent. No, that was I defiance. Can't. Yeah, defiance. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. I tried watching that. I. I, I it wasn't good, but like the impulse about why they do it does not in, like it's not a bad impulse if you can pull it off. That's what I should say. Like, yeah. you shouldn't be allergic to the impulse of narrowing your scope and localizing your game just because you feel like it's hacky. It can be hacky, yeah. but it can also be like efficient and you can tell a good story. That yeah, way. I mean, uh, other examples that could fit in this uh, kind of genre or space: uh, Watership Down, Animal Farm. Uh, if you want to do talking animals, you know, fables kind of thing. Um, so let's see here. Uh, yeah, basically, yeah, 90% of Stephen King's <laughs> body of literature. Yeah. Um, he He's he's branched out recently, you know, but uh, to, not much. To questionable success. <laughs> to questionable success. Um, there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of sci-fi uh, books dealing with colonies or isolated areas or arc ships, that kind of thing. Um, basically anything where the major characteristics, it has to be a small, unique place that's isolated, not entirely, but like the idea is that they, the one idiot clause is that you cannot have uh, them easily calling for help. And getting it, yeah. Know. And one of the worst they have to solve problems. I mean, own. at this point, one of the worst tropes that RPGs can experience is the the you know the, the robot from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Uh, thousands of years ago, <laughs> like everything is like fucking huge. The pauldrons are eighteen meters high. You know, the years add eighteen zeros to any any number you put on to it because it's got to be huge and big and not and like it just it just lends itself to the fucking, destiny thing. Yeah, just, yeah, destiny. I was exactly. going to point out Warhammer. 40k yeah 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 it just well he mentioned pauldron so that was really well it just lends itself to fucking parody and like yeah don't do that like yeah yeah. well i mean the thing is you could have a very long history if you could figure out some way to reveal it through gameplay like that's another thing about the small town mystery is that like in gravity falls every bit of exposition is earned because they solve the mystery like they and it's like a the first mystery is like oh what's the deal with this book and then the thing is oh i need to figure out what the other where the other books are and then like oh i've got all the books together better open activate this machine oh i've activated this machine oh shit i found out what the real objective is you so, know but yeah also every so bit it's of like history a, is relevant linked uh, objectives and each one reveals a new layer of the history and yeah. the the history does not contradict itself but it like it puts it in an entirely new light if you think like the big mystery is you know solving who Laura who killed Laura Palmer and then like oh but imagine gravity yeah. falls if it was like global like the wild thornberries like gravity falls meets yeah. the wild thornberries we're in a different setting every fucking week like you're not going to have like those in last episodes where they achieve resolution you like see windy become like this apocalyptic no. warrior and you have you know there's these, a lot of payoffs these yeah. Very, yeah there's no payoff to the end of it it's just like well the world yeah. And like, and you can't encompass the world. You can't think of the whole world. You're not going to truly encompass an entire fucking town either. Yeah. You're going to fail. You're a single person. So why don't you like fail smaller <laughs> to develop reality rather than fail to like figure out the entire galactic cosmos of the last 18 millennia of whatever you're fucking you know 26 part sci-fi volume game you have in your head like uh why don't you just like like ah oh, it was pretty good 
Yeah. Like, I don't really think you nailed down the tax system perfectly, but <laughs> I didn't really care because the narrative was interesting. Yeah, well, at first, it, like, yeah. you know, why is everyone nine feet tall with pauldrons and, like, so fucking okay, if grim they all went to the same high school, that would be amazing. Warhammer 40K High School. Primark High School? Yeah. That I, <laughs> Primark, are, there are no jocks. Yeah. <laughs> there are no gearheads. There yeah. are only metalheads. <laughs> there would, is one click, and it is how cannibal corpse can you be? <laughs> like, if that, what they're wearing is their standard thing. Imagine what their football uniforms actually look like. Like... <laughs> They would have double stacked pauldrons. I don't know. I think it'd just be blood bowl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, There's holes in the stadium. So yeah. Yeah. Fall into the oh, and space. things have to get sexy. So like these, you know, space marines, you know, making out, you know, uh, in the back of steamy APCs. Um, so oh, but I would wait. run 40k if it was set in a 40k high school. But uh, wait, he's from the that's cha- a, that's our new hill folk game. <laughs> but wait, he's from the chaos clique, yeah. and he's one of the loyalists. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, see, there you go. It's a Romeo and Juliet thing, you know. Yeah, Riverdale with vaguely fascist overtones. Um... <laughs> uh, yeah, and you can still get the incest in, probably. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, technically, they're all related. So, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, they're clones. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, hopefully, we'll get a lot of positive comments on that. <laughs> very angry ones. Uh, do it way. now. Yeah. Um. Uh, so yeah, you could really do it in any genre uh, hmm. that, that RPGs can do it. Um, it's going to up the stakes and yeah. make it feel more real. Whatever you're doing. Yeah. If you have this so, sort of persistent world around um, it, that's manageable in yeah. size. So at some point I will run a bubble gumshoe game that does focus on small town mystery. Uh, I have not di- finally, it, it just depends on schedules at this point. Cause right now everyone's kind of scattered about because of summer, but, uh, and I don't know when I'll post it, but that, that's something to look forward to. Um, but yeah, uh, when we come back, we'll have shout outs and an anecdote. So. There we are. Uh, <laughs> just to make sure the levels are there. Uh, so uh, we have quite a few shout-outs, so we'll just get right into it. Uh, first off, I want to talk about an RPG I've recently run. I quite enjoyed. I think I mentioned it before in the podcast, but I've actually now that I've run it, I, I can fully endorse it. Uh, Belly of the Beast. It was kickstarted, I believe, last year. Uh, the premise is that it actually is kind of a small-town thing because you live in a small little tribal area you, by default. Uh, <laughs> one in, of the stomachs. You have one of the stomachs of a continent-sized beast that is swallowing up a planet. Uh, but you, you're the third generation of people who live in this uh, uh, thing, and so it's a very much a meat punk game. Uh, where meat punk, meat punk, and you are basically it. The premise is actually similar to Red Markets in that you go out every week to get scavenged resources. You're like, oh, it ate a city recently. Go get the granary. You know, go <laughs> yeah. crack open the granary and get as much intact grain as you can. Um, so I've ran it. Uh, the system is it called the Ethos Engine, uh, and basically uh, you roll pools of d6s to succeed. Uh, the target number is based on your skill. If you're really good at something, you need a three. If you're really shitty, you need a six. And then there's in-between things. Um, but you spend instinct pool uh, in order to, to add bonuses to your uh, – to, to roll more dice. Uh, but these instinct dice are not – this pool is not replenished every scene. You have to do things in order to fulfill your instincts. And there's like five instincts like loyalty, curiosity, fear, violence, and greed. 
So you have to do things that fulfill your instincts or help you scavenge more shit in order to keep getting dice so you can keep succeeding at things. So you have to keep, there's sort of like you need to keep do, uh, maintaining forward momentum or keep acting on your character's impulses or instincts uh, in order to succeed. So I thought that you was – Playing them spots? Yeah, exactly. Playing the spots. Um, <laughs> But they're very basic generalized ones. They're not very specific. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of justification. Like uh, when I ran a one-shot, uh, Tom, for example, chose loyalty. So whenever he would do something dangerous so that the other player character wasn't at risk, he got dice for it. So um, it actually worked out pretty well. So um, I'll have a, a one-shot recorded, posted sometime in the next month or so. Uh, I, I mean, it is recorded. I will post it sometime in the next month. So uh, something to look forward to. Uh, Caleb, You uh, there's a TV show that... Uh, so it's old, yeah, and everyone's either seen it or never heard of it before. <laughs> so um, there is this uh, show uh, on the BBC called Cad File, uh, C A D F A E L, yes, because uh, it's Welsh, um, but it is a basically cozy mystery series set in uh, like twelve sixteen during the Great Anarchy, which was a civil war. Between, uh, I think it was King Stephen and Empress Maud, pretender to the throne. And Cadphile is a Benedictine monk uh, who didn't become a monk until he was in his 40s. And before that, he spent his entire time being a pirate and a crusader. So he's uh, like this monk who's an herbalist. But he's like heavily invested in like science. He knows all about how people actually live versus how they tell the church live. And he's a total badass. Uh, even though he's like in his sixties. Like people who put a sword on Cadfell, he's like, bitch, please, knocking the sword out of him. Like, um, and it is just the most entertaining cozy mystery ever. Cause it's very much like uh CSI during a time where we believe witches are real. Like, he's just like, what if making, if they sink, like, seeing if they sink isn't a good way to tell if they're guilty. <laughs> like, it's a... You're like, a loose cannon, Cadfell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's every fucking episode. It's so predictable, and I love it. Nice. Um, it's, it's utterly predictable, but, like, the setting alone just fucking saves it, and the character saves it, because it's so interesting. Like, And by predictable, I mean this. There are... Um, there's four episodes in the first series and three in the series after that. So a number of episodes, like, uh, it's like at least 13. There are three times Cadfile doesn't find a body in the pond because <laughs> they need to reuse that fucking set. In the whole series, there are three dead bodies that are not found in the river. The other ten are. <laughs> yeah, the other ten. Well, there's more that there's, sometimes there's multiple murders oh, per episode, yeah. so it's more than ten. Uh, but it's utterly predictable, but like utterly delightful. There's these monks that are always like, Cadfile, you're a loose cannon, and he's always like dressing them down. It's, it's fucking great. At one time, they uh, are going to a small town to rescue a saint's bones for relics, because basically the monastery needs money, and yeah. no one will admit that except Cadfile. Uh, and they, there's a murder in the town, and they think all the monks did it. And it turns out the monks did do it. Like, one of the monks did it. And the monk dies, like, trying to escape arrest. So, spoiler alert, Cadfile's just like, all right, we're going to pretend he ascended to heaven. So he strips him naked, 
lays out his robes and covers it with petals of the saint's flower because he's an herbalist. He stuffs his ass in the fucking trunk where they put the relic, <laughs> the dead body of the murderer. He goes to the village and he's like, just say we took the saint. You can keep the saint, but just... Just like say it's cool, and then all his monk brothers are like, "Oh, it's a it's a miracle from saying whatever." He's like, "Yes, it totally is." And there's like a rotting dead guy in the fucking coffin. <laughs> right. Is this on Netflix? Uh, uh, no, I have the DVDs if you want to. Okay. but they're it's it's uh it's pretty solid. You should watch Cat File. It's my favorite cozy mystery, just because it's set during an age of medieval crazy superstition. Nice. Uh, speaking of British TV shows uh, about craziness, this is a little different though. Uh, Sean? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so I was going to give a shout out. I kind of already did earlier about Outcasts. Um, goes back to, it's from 2011. Again, Space Colony, yes, they have the weird mystical aliens were here before us thing. Um, it's more important. Is this on Mars or like some distant, distant planet? It's like a distant planet, okay. but uh, I think I can't. It's been a while since I watched it. Um, it was on Netflix, but, you know, they cycle through things. So mm-hmm. obviously, I, I don't think it's on there anymore. Um, and again, it was like, I think, seven or eight episodes, and then they axed it. <clears throat> but uh, basically, they have to figure out what happened to essentially a previous colony and what's going on right now with all their personal petty politics and who's actually running the place. And there's like an attempted coup, that kind of stuff. Um, it's It kind of fits that same small town mystery aesthetic, but it's kind of a hard sci-fi approach instead of it being like, we've got all sorts of faster than light. Again, they become isolated because they can call back to Earth for uh, Earth for stuff, but it's going to take. This is more like, oh God, do, are we going to be able to survive? Yeah, yeah. And then what's going on? We're seeing freaky alien shit when we're not supposed to be seeing freaky alien shit on this planet. I thought we established there was no freaky alien shit. Uh, and then I was told there would be no freaky alien yeah. shit. I've been misled. <laughs> Here's a guy from a previous attempt at the colony we didn't even know happened, but got covered up by the government. He has diamonds. Why the fuck does he have diamonds? You know, fair enough. <laughs> that kind of shit. Cool. So no, it's it's actually a pretty good watch if you can track it down. Decent, uh, cl- you know, basically probably be on Hulu or something like that. It so. probably is, or BBC America's. Uh, oh yeah, they, got, they might have that. Everyone's streaming these days. It's all the hot ki- uh, hot, hot rage among all the kids. Um, so they call it hot rages. Yeah, hot rages. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's what the kids love to talk uh, about. <laughs> uh, next up, I'd like to do an actual review of Beastiary Six. Uh, I got a review copy from Paizo. Uh, this is Pathfinder role playing game. It's a new compilation of monsters and critters uh, and bad things. Um, now we've I've basically burned out on Pathfinder and D twenty games uh, in general, except for Thirteenth Age. Uh, but uh, Paizo, they actually have great art and great writing for like color. Like the thing is, there's a lot of uh, Wayne Reynolds. He's their main guy. Uh, that's their main guy. Yeah, I think he did the cover art. But they've got a bunch of uh, artists now. It's not just him doing yeah. the art. Um, aping right Wayne. Yeah, yeah, some of them. Um, they, they, um, this has hundreds of monsters, and they, they, some of them range from like big cosmic baddies to little parasitic, you know, things that invade and you know can make your character sick or whatever. Uh, but each of these could be a, pl- a lot of these are like they're obviously the premise for an adventure based around this weird fucking thing, you know, like, Oh, here's a whisperer. He's a weird alien fae. He's like a faceless guy. He transforms the landscape around him into this hellish nightmare thing that can kill you. Uh, he's utterly alien. No one understands what he's doing. And so like, obviously that's an adventure in of itself. Yeah. So like you could take a lot of these monsters and put them in another game. Like there's like half of these would be perfect for monster of the week. Uh, you, or, you know, a Buffy style modern thing. So, 
Um, if your players are sick of something like, with less numbers, something <laughs> with less numbers. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, so I, I like it. And it's also just fun to read crazy ass monsters, you know, uh, oh, yeah. they, they have, uh, so it's a, it's a fun read, um, in, in for monster, the monster manual manuals, the thing you can expect the GM and the players to buy. Yeah. If you're, uh, if you're going for splat. Yeah. There are playable character races. If you're into that, uh, you know, obviously there's a reptile guy. Um, you know, reptile species. So, uh, the Tom, you know, I don't know players, who it's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are, oh, actually, uh, let me see if I can find their names. There, there, it's like an E, um, but there's, there's wear insects. So, uh, here it is. Uh, Intothrope. So, like, there's literally wear mantises, uh, wear spiders, and, uh, wear wasps. So, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was waiting, Tom, to burst through your door. Like, <laughs> like the fucking Kool-Aid man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, it's... I've been summoned. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a it's a 50, it's a $45 book, so... Um, I hope you like monsters. Yeah, if you like monsters, <laughs> this is good. I mean, obviously, if your Pathfinder group is burned out on stuff, or they they know, that they've memorized the contents, there's some weird fucking shit that's going to throw them for a loop. Give them a uh, wear whisper. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, you give them a wear whisper. You could. Uh, that's how templates work. So, <laughs> I'm a weird alien fae that had a chance for and I'm also a giant wasp. So, <laughs> fucking deal with that. Stage two, giant wasp. Yeah. Fuck you. Um, Was it a fae that got bit by a wasp? Yeah. Or a wasp that got bit by a fae uh it's a fae it's 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 like werewolf rules like, all right, all right. they even they even keep the full moon thing for some for so for some reason it's like uh yeah in the full moon i was bitten by a spider i try, i'm spider-man oh that means you're here no we're spider so there's some naturalist in the pathfinder universe like the population just jumps during a fucking full moon and then it shoots back down of every animal i can't i can't tell you why you know sometimes in we got wolves we got different insects the whole biome just boosts. Sometimes. Human population drops precipitously. Sometimes an unspeakable fairy horror loves a wasp nest very, very much. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, just going through here. Look, I mean, look at this thing. It's called an omnipath. Look at that thing. Big old fish guy with mouths and mouths. I heard you like mouths. So, um, yeah, there's just a lot of cool stuff in it. So, uh, anyways, uh, Caleb, you probably had something else to talk about. Uh, I did. Yeah, eight tracks. Remember what it was? Oh yes. Uh, so uh, Spotify crashes my computer a lot when I don't open it in a browser. Uh, so I've been looking for other streaming music services, and I kind of like eight tracks. Um, it's shitty in that they want you to sign up and they want you to like listen to a shit ton of ads, but that's every streaming everything. Unless you pay for it. Yeah, unless you pay for it. Um, but what I like about eight tracks is that it's uh, basically all mixtapes put together by real people. Uh, so you can like it's pretty good for discovering new music. Mm. Uh, I found a lot of stuff that like I didn't know ever existed, uh, historical stuff I didn't know existed. Like, um, and they've got search terms and tags, so it's a good tag system. You can find stuff you like, like uh, like shoegaze, and like like it gets mm-hmm. really particulate and like you're you very know what shoegaze is kind of connected to. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I just say your various waves, for instance, uh, you can. Can look for every subset of that and various mixes by by That's people how, uh, who yeah. are so into that shit. They went on a free service and made a you mm-hmm. know individual playlist of it. So uh, I've been listening to a lot of that as I as I write. So cool. Have yeah. you discovered any new artists? Um, I've you know I haven't found anything like 
life changing, except yeah. that like um, there is there is a lot of like shoegaze, psychedelica, lo-fi stuff mm-hmm. that I'm really into. That's about the only uh, aspect of new music I keep up with, which yeah. is like lo-fi, psychedelica, kind of mm-hmm. uh, rebirth. I've recently got into like lo-fi hop, like uh, which is like very chill. It's related to chill hop. It's very uh, yeah, relaxing kind of. Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of like Wand and Tame mm. and Pala and stuff like that. But like, there's a bunch of like historical stuff like out of San Francisco. I didn't know who existed. Yeah. So uh, cool. I'm getting really into like people who I've heard of Atrax, but yeah, I have yeah. not tried them out yet. Uh, yeah, so it's not bad. Cool. Uh, Sean, um, other thing I guess I was going to bring up um, was I've kind of been trying to discover new forms of you know ideas for games, that kind of thing. So I've been thinking mm-hmm. through. Uh, trying to kind of get back into certain comic stuff like there's essentially things I missed that on and then I realized I remembered an old miniseries that really influenced a lot of my view of like the whole DC setting and mm-hmm. part of the reason why actually I kind of didn't like it for the longest time I hate Superman with a passion um, <laughs> just on principle um, and no I was going to disagree here yeah uh, part of the reason is the I, first I'm not like a huge fan I'm not Spencer I, yeah Spencer's yeah. not in the room we're yeah. fine okay. yeah we're fine um, so I, I, I like good Superman stories but they are rare yeah. The ones where he's not Superman? Yeah. Basically. We've already established. <laughs> so um, I remember a miniseries that I've, I've always kind of like gone back to and been trying to find in print, and I can never find like an actual uh, graphic novel. And it turns out the reason I can't find it is because they did reprint it. It was a four-part miniseries made in 1988 called The Weird. And it got reprinted as part of Comet Man because of, you know, general comic book dickery. And um, so I ordered it recently. I'm excited. Um in this story, it's the first you know, little eight-year-old impressionable Sean uh, read this and went, oh, the Justice League are assholes. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize, because you've always got that plot that shows up in various sci-fi, fantasy, whatever, where an otherworldly power comes to save us from a threat we didn't realize existed. Thanks. And uh, the heroes are always colossal jerks about it. it it's, just, it's just a thing. It is a thing. And it's the first time I've really experienced that. But this was that story being told from the perspective of the otherworldly power. So, from a dimension of pure energy, or macrolats and zerolats, and a bunch of mythology. Um, Macrolats, evil imperials that eat the zerolats and enslave them. A lone zerolat finds out about a plot to essentially invade our world and fuck shit up. He escapes, takes over a recently deceased man's body because he's ethically opposed to the idea of possessing somebody who's alive has to modify the body because he under- his superpower is he understands energy principles we will not begin to hope to understand for millennia. He's a huge nerd. Got it. He's oh, an yeah. ethical Yithian. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yes. <laughs> he's a cruelty-free Yithian. Yes. So right. he uh, revives the body. Oh, God, he's gain- a hipster Yithian. <laughs> yeah. but a he hipster gain- He gains the guy's memories. That's my so high school he- scholar, yeah. hipster Yithian. Oh, oh, there you go. He gains the guy's memories <laughs> and d- starts doing like – it gets kind of weird. Like he decides to try and reconnect with – the grieving family yeah, to kind of like somehow connect with that, but he's kind of confused about it. In the meantime, he, go- he goes to Justice League for help and lets it accidentally slip like a player character that, um, oh, by the way, my body's unstable and might explode and take out your planet, but if you let me do this thing first, I'll fuck off and everything will be fine. You might explode! You must die! You know? That's punchy. That's, that's the best thing. Yeah, so essentially, issue two is one of my favorites because <laughs> this is the issue where Superman goes full rage mode the weird can literally just phase through objects and he's fine. Superman goes plowing through buildings to chase him down. At one point, busting through an old couple's apartment without a second thought. <laughs> and, and it's Superman. Yeah. So um, we see you know, Kal-El full rage mode. And I'm just like, oh, 
That's kind of interesting. So yeah, it, it goes along those lines. And his, I wonder if Zack Snyder read the same comic as a kid and is like, "That's it. That's everything Maybe. from now on." Fuck your house, yeah. Superman <laughs> kind of kind of takes that angle, but, but this is at a time when Superman was the you know perpetual Boy Scout at, at this point. Yeah. So it was a is eighty eight still Silver Age? I think it is this might still st- like shooting tiny Supermans out of your fingernails. No, that's sixties. Th- yeah, no, no. Seventies uh, is, like, is like seventies and eighties is up where we get to like what's debatably called the Iron Age, where yeah. things, shit gets starts getting edgy. Yeah, okay. before we hit the nineties and must you know guys everything have is like, edgy. Yeah, it's all edge, no substance. I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on the hipster Yiptian. I think I, I just picture him with a <laughs> what's scarf on the drum and head? Is it like a brain in a jar with like a fake beard no, hanging no, no. off the jar? It's a Yiptian. With a scarf and black frame gra- glasses and like a coffee <laughs> and like a notebook, but it's me- like a metal cube notebook. And he's like a metal cube moleskin. Yeah. Wow. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry. Oh no, it's cool. So I'm just yeah. gonna say six so, dimensional moleskin. Yeah. Basically, it's just like an early thing for me that like kind of got me closer to. I, I want to read it. it yeah, let's see, I'll let you borrow it whenever I get it in. It should come cool. in tomorrow actually because cool. Man, just, yeah, whenever you finish. Yeah. Uh, sounds awesome. So, um, speaking of things that are, are reading, uh, reading or have read, um, I recently read uh, a couple of novellas. Uh, I'll just mention them pretty quickly. That they're both excellent reads, uh, and they're novellas, so they're not too long. Uh, one is the Murderbot Diaries, Volume One, All, All Systems Read, uh, and it's apparently going to be the first of a series, and I can't wait for part two. Uh, basically, it's a very eclipse based kind of setting. Um, you know, where they're colonizing planets and exploring them. And there's also building basically AIs and pod morphs, you know, like, you know, meat and robot parts put together. Um, and basically it's from the point of view of this murder bot, you know, a basically a cyborg guy who's or cyborg body AI in control. But normally they have these uh, limiters that, you know, remove their free will. His is broken. And so he has free will, but he's just working this job guarding scientists on a distant planet as they're surveying it uh, because all he wants to do is basically watch TV on his downtime. So <laughs> I, I was thinking of you, Caleb, if you were a murder buddy, like, yeah, whatever. I want to see part 20 of uh, the Lunar's Diaries, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, and or, you know, Lunardale. Sorry. Uh, yeah, and basically, he's just fine being a slacker murder bot. Until basically they find out, oh god, there's another secret colony on the planet, and they want to murder us for reasons. And so he's like, God damn it, I have to protect the scientists because they know my secret, and I have to. God, they'll just reformat my brain, and like, uh, damn it, I have to do things now. Uh, and he's very socially awkward as a murder bot. So it's like reluctant murder bot. Yeah. So it's sort of like edgier short circuit. Uh, yeah, basically, <laughs> it's a slacker short circuit. There we go. Uh, and he's more self aware. He's not very. He's not naive. Okay. He's just like uh, I don't care. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, it's a great read. And then of course uh, another novella, Agents of Dreamland, uh, which is a Lovecraftian Cthulhu mythos uh, take on a uh, what basically a post an apocalyptic cult uh, dealing with Amigo, you know, the fungi uh, from Yugath. And a, a G-Man type character who is part of a secret government agency is trying to deal with them. And a Yithian who is, uh, you know, actually, uh, coincidentally enough, helping the government uh, for reasons. So uh, it's an excellent interpretation of the, mo- of the Cthulhu mythos by a modern writer. Um, so, again, both of them are excellent reads. I highly recommend them. Um see here caleb you had another comic book to talk about yeah so uh i'm trying to power through the last of my red markets writing assignments uh it's not going great uh limping across the finish line here at the end 
Uh, so I have uh, forced myself to dive back into the well that is zombie fiction, um, which is, because I'm not a good marketing or business person, 90% terrible. Um, but I have found uh, amongst there. So Boom Comics, uh, makers of many shitty movie tie-ins. Um, got the rights to Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later franchise. And they did a really shitty, like, Twilight Zone stories within the 28 Days verse uh, comic that I bought and was super disappointed in. But I went to Half Price Books over the last weekend, and I found the 28 Days Omnibus for, like, 7 bucks. So I bought it on that. And it is enormous. And it is actually quite good. It's from the perspective of the... Um, not the protagonist of 28 Days Later, but the uh, the lady that saves the protagonist, the machete lady, who's just like her her partner of many months. The first one he meets after he wakes up. Yeah, his partner of months is like maybe bit, and she's like, well, and he's like, no, wait a second. And he's just like, nope. And she just like machetes him to death without like a heart, like a moment. Um, and it's very much among the mindset of like, it's before 28 weeks later, uh, the outbreak's still ongoing. Uh, they had their rights to the story, everything after the film, and they they rope her in because she's in like a fucking uh, refugee camp in Reykjavik with all the other UK people, but she survived longer in the in, than everybody else, and so they're very much like, you know what you're doing, we need you to go after MacGuffin. And she does it, and it's pure taker shit. Like she's just like, all right, you're gonna do what I say. Everyone needs to wear leather. You all need machetes. <laughs> like, it's very much like, all right, I, I'll do it because I need money because I live in a tent city in a frozen tundra. Uh, but y'all bitches know that the rules are different out here. <laughs> and it's it's very good. Uh, it's, it's much better than most of the zombie fiction and comics I read. So I would recommend it, unlike the... Uh, so be careful if you're looking at Boom Comics because they do have the sort of... They like, have a very, very variable chart. Yeah, very. Uh, is a lovely way to put it, Ross. <laughs> uh, the the sort of like four tales within the verse is not very good, but like the sort of enormous. I didn't know the series went this long, but this sort of enormous backlog of this following this single character is actually quite good so far. So I would recommend it. Cool. Um, not quite a shout out because we usually don't do big things, but I do want to mention that uh, I recently played through and finally and beat Near Automata. And it's an excellent game. It's it's not perfect, obviously. It does have uh, fan service. Not Simba. Yeah. Well, it's not. It's actually a lot better than most things. But the character designs are kind of fan service. My skirt is tactical. It is. Ta- yeah. Uh, but it's an excellent uh, deconstruction of like uh, video game Ludo narrative design tropes. Um, you know, you play through the same story through multiple characters' perspectives. Uh, the gameplay itself changes to accommodate like shifts in the narrative uh it's actually not quite a small town narrative but like it's all focused in one particular city in the post 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 apocalyptic like humans have been gone for hundreds or thousands of years and there's like basically two robot there's a like aliens built a race of robots to wipe out humanity and humanity built a race of androids to fight the robots so all that's left are these artificial creations fighting a war that they've long forgot really forgotten the meaning to and so it's kind of it's actually very existential it's like what is the purpose of my life especially once you find out the truth that you know uh the human well the, i don't want to get into it but like i've seen some videos on it yeah. like it seems like it's deeper than it 
yeah would appear it uh, is, yeah it, exactly and like the game like the, but the videos are just like the blindfolds they wear are a metaphor yeah and i'm just like it looks like bondage gear or like it's but, so no thank you just head cannon it's lady gaga fighting far in the future you know like that's theme actually that, pretty conservative for her you know with the theme that hell is other robots yeah hell is other robots that's hell is other they robots. actually bring up sartre and uh there's actually a character named sartre and you have to find him philosophy oh, books God. Uh, as a subquest, um, so and it's got an excellent soundtrack too. Um, okay. So uh, it's actually yeah worth playing through. Um, I mean, there's worse ways for Japanese designers to be up their own ass. Kojima. Well, okay, um, okay, to but, be fair yeah. to Yako Taro, the guy who made Nier, he's like, why'd you make them look like fetish models? He's like, I like girls. I don't <laughs> like. There's no story. He's not. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like they breathe through their skin. Yeah, no, yeah, it's no. like. I'll, I'll give him that much yeah. at least. He, yeah, he's like, yeah, no, I'm kind of a burr. <laughs> All right, well, great. Yeah, at least he's honest about it. So, uh, but anyway, sorry, uh, Caleb, you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the big movie you saw recently. So, guys, we're probably going to talk about this in mix six because I'm just astounded as anyone else. Wonder Woman's actually good. Like, yeah, I've been hearing good things about it. I have not seen it yet. So to be clear, because I don't want to be judged, Yeah, we were at my parents' house, and they wanted to go see a movie, and they wanted to go see Wonder Woman. So I did not pay, and I went under protest. <laughs> um, because I've seen things that Zack Snyder has touched, and yeah. I've seen them wither and die. Um, so I was not expecting anything. And it's actually, like, I've had, I've had to take some time, because I'm just like, was I expecting it to shit itself and die, and then it low expectations, and then it just shit itself? Yeah. Like I oh like yeah, was it an expectation thing? But no, it's actually a fairly good superhero movie because like that's a genre now where you can judge it as like beyond just a film. Yeah. you can judge it as a superhero film. It's established, yeah. and it's like the best parts of Thor, uh, the first Thor, where he's sort of like innocently naive about like the way humanity works, and you sort of get that like consistent defamiliarization joke with Chris Pine. Chris Pine is like dashing, but also not playing Captain Kirk. He's not like super cocky and dicky all the time. And then like, uh, it's also like the best parts of Captain America. So, cause she comes on to some Kaiser worshiping crowd assholes and she whips the fuck out of them. <laughs> just, just beats the shit out of them. Um, and also it's really refreshing as a superhero narrative, even though it follows the same basic arc in that the arc is like, I want to go do the thing. Let me do the thing. And she's restrained from doing the thing by other things. So it's sort of like reinforcing the patriarchy. It's never like the burden of responsibility or should I be a hero? She wants to go stab Ares. She stabs a guy. Spoiler alert. It's not Ares. And then she finds Ares and she goes to stab that guy instead. That's the arc. It's like, I want to go stab Ares. Stab. Ah, oh, shit. I wasn't Ares. Oh, you're Ares? Stab. Like, that. that's the whole arc of the film. It's not like, what does it mean to be a hero? And should I really do it? My mom's name is Martha. And, like, it's <laughs> it's not, like, angsty or bullshit. He's just like, no, let's go do the thing. Like, why won't you let me go do the thing faster? And then, like, No Man's Land is like, well, you can't charge across No Man's Land. Is like, but Ares is over there. Charges across No Man's Land. <laughs> like, I fucking love it. Like, so, yeah, it's it's really it's really pretty good. And I don't feel guilty about watching it. Like, I have every Zack Snyder film. I didn't need to take a shower afterwards to watch the jingoist bullshit off of me. Uh, it's not a Michael Bay movie. Like, right. it's, it's good. Yeah, There's so. no two giant metal 
balls. Uh, yeah, I didn't balls, want to yeah. throw up and yeah. like despair the future of humanity afterwards. Have you seen like, oh, it's an okay superhero movie. No. Yeah, good. I haven't watched any of the new DC movies. Oh, I envy At you. all. <laughs> I've avoided them meticulously. And that's fair, but you should watch Wonder Woman. I know. I'm planning, Wonder Woman, I was planning on breaking that. Yeah, uh, and, but, and Sarah loved it as well, and she likes, like, normal super movies, but she, she retweeted a tweet at me that was like, I understand what dudes feel like now, because I've seen Wonder Woman, and I want to barehand fight every man I see. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's it's like the point where she charges across no man's land and just goes ape shit in the trent, just like fucking up some german dudes like it is it is badass like she she wrecks some fools uh yeah so it's pretty good awesome um so finally, also there's yeah. a love subplot yeah. and it doesn't derail anything uh, between wonder woman and chris mines yeah oh yeah right. i mean you knew this was gonna happen yeah, yeah. but it's not like we fucked can i be a hero yeah it's like no he's a pretty good lay anyway off to stab aries <laughs> like it's so great like i was just like woo, go wonder woman <laughs> nice um so finally uh speaking of fighting uh we started the unknown armies campaign uh so uh it is set in kansas city it's not quite a small town uh, but it, it has some elements, hopefully, that are reoccurring characters and that kind of stuff. Um, so we have four player characters, uh, four players, me, uh, Bill, Dan, and David. Um, I'm playing a Cinemancer, weirdly enough, if you're familiar with that in Unknown Armies. I get powers through movie tropes. Um, and we had a fight uh, in our first game session. So, Caleb, do you want to set that up? So um, I used to do judo. And I didn't go as far as Greg did, but yeah. uh, Greg's really into judo. Greg Stolze. Yeah, Greg Stolze. And um, I love Unknown Armies because of all his systems. That's the system where it proves that he understands how fights actually work more than anything else. Because combat is just stupid. Like, it, and like, not like stupid and like unentertaining. It's just like this yakety sax, <laughs> blind, like flailing of nonsense. And, um, it's so fucking great as a result of it. So you end up, uh, for, for reasons I will leave up to the AP, uh, you need the teeth of certain people you're going to invite to a party. These are bad people, by the bad way. Bad people. Um, uh, horrible fascists. And you want to like hold a honeypot party to do horrible, arcane, unnatural things to them. <laughs> for the greater good, because unknown armies. Um, so you, you lure them into a back alley behind a college dive bar. And start a fight. So basically, David's playing the face character. And we're all disguised as black block members. Yeah. (laughs) Except for David, who's in a luchador mask. Because reasons. Uh, So David's in the rear of the alley, and they all come in five deep. Whereas you come in three deep on the back end. So it's like Mook, Mook, Leader, David. And then it comes like Bill, Dan, and then Ross behind them. So they come up. Ross is a cinomancer, so he has a power called uh, Does It Smell Like Chloroform? Yeah. (laughs) I actually used three of my spells in that fight. The first one was actually the banana peel gag. Uh, Oh, yeah. So he doesn't want to fight five people, so he throws a banana peel after one guy, and he trips on it comically because he can use movie tropes uh, as as weapons. 
Uh, then he chloroforms another dude. <laughs> and then it becomes like this yakety sax nonsense of violence. So like Bill and Dan are like whiffing and just like hitting the wall with sticks or hitting other people. And they're like punching ineffectually because they're rolling for shit. Because your average like ability for violence doesn't get above 60% if you're like a badass. Um, and they're like all falling around. We're, Ross is just dropping spells. So the guy that's fighting David like t- hits on a um, he says he's going to bash the guy's face in and there's a irony power for Cinemancy. <laughs> so Ross drops a power that he like steps on a board and smashes it into his face. So as it's on his face David picks up the board and starts hitting him repeatedly with it as it's hitting him in the face whereas Dan and Bill are like wailing on these dudes and Ross is like trying to get a plier into the mouth he knocked it was just the most big it was the biggest clusterfuck of like flailing around barroom violence I've ever seen like no one looked cool even when they did damage like it was just like this random uh, it was awful like it was it was ugly from front to back my, my and I one, loved it my one my one regret is that I did not get one of the other player characters to yell is it safe as they were pulling teeth out because <laughs> I would have gotten a magic charge from it yeah. so and uh, I like had one character standing above everybody else and I rolled like to him do this flying tackle maneuver yeah. to go at Ross yeah. behind the like phalanx of dude with sticks and he crit fails so he ends up like tripping over everyone and falling <laughs> down and then like they're stomping on his face while he's like tangled up in another frat boy's legs and it was just like the ugliest most ridiculous uh ungraceful flailing nonsense ever and i'm like yes i love that a game system did this because that's 99 percent of every fight ever yeah watch the world star hip-hop uh um, yeah, which which ua game were you in were you in the bakery one or uh, the other i one? was in the other one the other let's, one let's go save reggie uh, which no matter what we we, we can't save reggie it was so. rich yeah, Richie. Richie, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, you saved him. He has a girlfriend now. I don't yeah. know if that really was a valid save. <laughs> yeah. What was your favorite? Like, without spoiling the overall plot or anything, because uh, I'll be posting the game soon. What was your single favorite like anecdote or element of that game, uh, or like most surprising for you? Because I mean, th- there were many candidates. <laughs> <laughs> we did a lot of things. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think like a good specific point. Um, um, there was there was the ritual. I don't. Is it spoiling it to really say much about the ritual? How about just listing some of the ingredients of the ritual? Because I think we talked about uh, another time. Okay, okay. Um, I won't say why we were doing this, except to say weird science. Um, yeah, it was weird science, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think about that until after we were done. Yeah, which I believe we included the DVD of Weird Science, a whole <laughs> bunch of Zoe Dashnell movies. Um, the original Tomb Raider yeah. on PlayStation. Had, had, had to be running on a cathode ray. On a CRT hungover. Um, the Galadriel doll that will be mentioned. Is, is that After Hours posted? <laughs> That's, that After Hours has been posted. Okay, so I, yeah. I, I posted. I yeah, you guys photo. really obsessed with the Galadriel doll for a while there. <laughs> I, I, it was funny as hell. All it right. was a good bit in the, sh- in the After Hours. Uh, I think it's called mm-hmm. Dakimakura, the body pillows, you know, when you, yeah. you do one of those. Um <laughs> So yeah, you can think about what what that that they made, a, they made a shrine to male sadness. Yeah, yeah I think that's what were, that was their starting point, yeah. and we just went a totemic representation of male sadness. We just sat there and went, "What's the saddest? You know, yeah. I need a girlfriend. At, you know, thing we can throw out there." And we just it was it was way too easy. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, 
But, All right, yeah. So that's something we think. Uh, look forward to in the next episode. <laughs> yeah, unknown armies plays a little too deep into the actual collective unconscious to be comfortable for anyone, especially the person running it. Yeah. I will say that much, but uh, uh, it's yeah. wackety smackety view gaming. So yeah, we'll we'll have uh, you like it. content warnings on all episodes, <laughs> yeah. basically. Yes. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, that's been RBBR episode one forty three. Uh, Murder. She wrote my uh, scenario, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> you uh, butchered my title. Sorry, murder. She wrote my scenario. There so. we go. There we go. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, so yeah, if you have any experience or questions running uh, small town mystery type games, uh, feel free to post comments here or discuss it on our Facebook group, uh, and of course follow us on our Patreon. So uh, thanks. Uh, talk to you later. Bye. Bye.